Thank you all. Indeed, there's no sweeter name than the name of Jesus. There's uh, also no mightier name than the name of Jesus as well, and we will begin to consider that as we look at Ephesians chapter 6. This morning, I invite you to turn with me there. We will also be concluding our series here in uh, Ephesians this morning as we look at these ten verses about the uh, armor of God, which may be somewhat familiar to us. I'm uh, reminded, I noticed this week, that in the 1600s, uh, William Gurnall, a preacher in England to his church, offered up, related to these ten verses, what he called a, a mite, a tiny little offering. His commentary on this passage, which was three volumes, 261 chapters, covering 1,400-plus pages about these ten verses. I'll try to be a little more succinct this morning as we go through them. These are important verses for us. They're important verses for us in their own right. They are important verses as we do conclude this series in Ephesians. And I, I, I hope that as we are going through the books of the Bible, praying, coming to worship, ready, asking God to teach us, to allow us to grow, not just little snippets, but to really begin to deeply grasp God's Word and what it's saying, that we've begun in Ephesians to at least get these two nuggets out of the book of Ephesians, and that is the first three chapters talk about what? About salvation through Christ, by His grace, through faith alone. What He has done for us and the wonderful things He has done in laying down His life for us. And the second three chapters, the second half of Ephesians contains what? Information about how we're supposed to live that out, practice that salvation, have it play out in our lives, our families, our marriages, our parenting, our personal walk with the Lord, and even our workplace we saw last week. So this is what we're looking at in Ephesians. And as we come this week, it's an interesting, somewhat abrupt shift that Paul moves from things that we might call so routine as parenting and family and children and marriage and work and bosses, all of a sudden, it seems, to these hidden spiritual matters behind the scenes, specifically to the work of the evil one behind the scenes. But for Paul, these two things are meant to be brought together. The world that we are walking in, the world that we are walking through is some sort of stage, if you will. And I don't know what in the world this is, but behind this thing is a bunch of junk back here. There's other things going on. And the Apostle Paul wants us to be reminded of that today, that as we seek to walk out this faith, as we seek to practice this salvation in Christ and have it play out in our lives, there's other things going on. Particularly, we have an enemy who opposes us. So I invite you to stand as we read these 10 verses, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. I'll read them aloud as you all read along. Paul says this. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the day of evil. 
And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. For I'm an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. You may be seated. Let's pray together again. Oh, Father, we do ask that you would teach us vital things for our walk with you individually and as a church body this morning. And we ask that you would do that in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Let the completion of World War II, as you might remember from your history or for a few of us from your lives, the uh, Soviets and the Americans were tasked with dividing up some of the countries that had been controlled previously by the Germans and the Japanese. Korea had been controlled by Japan since 1910. The 38th parallel in that country was determined to be the dividing line between the American-supported South Korea and the Soviet and Chinese-supported North Korea. That line was established, but as the chill of the Cold War settled in, very soon, by uh, June of 1950, the North Korean Soviet-supported forces moved past that line and attacked South Korea. The Americans, along with uh, other U.N. forces, uh, jumped in and uh, rather quickly were able to push those forces back. In fact, drove them all the way back into North Korea to such a degree that they were beginning to approach the Chinese border. Around that same time, in early October now of 1950, President uh, Truman and the commanding general of the U.S. troops, uh, MacArthur, gathered and met and discussed the issues at hand. One of the things that they determined was that the Chinese participation in this conflict was not a threat. They didn't need to be worried about them, and in fact, they prepared to essentially wrap up the operation that they had pursued thus far. Meanwhile, as they were meeting, the Chinese leaders were meeting with the Soviets to secure their very powerful air support over North Korea secretly, unbeknownst to anyone. And at the same time, if you can imagine this, marched three whole divisions of troops. That's a lot of troops some 280 miles all the way from China down to just in front of the American lines under strict night discipline, marching just from 9 p.m. till 3 in the morning so that no one had any idea that they were there. 
They soon, at the end of October, launched a massive offensive, driving the American U.N. troops back substantially, and then stopped as quickly as they started. Their deception continued. The Americans thought that maybe this was all they had. They still hadn't figured out that they were up against a hidden and significant and powerful enemy. And so they attempted to push right back into it, running headlong into now highly fortified positions supported by those hidden Chinese, only to be driven back facing huge casualties and I believe the longest distance U.S. military retreat in history before the U.S. was able to hold off at that 38th parallel that remains today. Obviously, I think the parallels and connections to our verses today should be clear to us. These verses talk to us about an enemy. They remind us first and foremost that we have one. We need to know that. And also the importance of understanding the position, the tactics of that enemy. And then if we don't get that, if we don't recognize it and how to fight that enemy, that we will taste a bitter defeat in the spiritual realm. Paul has given us here, if you will, a sort of spiritual reconnaissance report on the nature of the enemy that we will want to hear so we can understand what the fight is about. At the same time, as he tells us about this evil one, the the devil, and about how threatening he truly is, he's also wanting to encourage us. He rallies us for the battle, telling us that, you know, you do face a difficult and daunting enemy. But with this armor, with this equipment, and with complete dependence upon the Lord, you can stand. You can stand. We can stand individually. We can stand corporately as a body against the attacks of even this daunting enemy. It's a spiritual battle that we're discussing. So perhaps also the most important thing that Paul reveals to us is the battlefield, where we actually fight. And he tells us that that is through prayer, through bowing our heads and seeking the Lord's power. That's how we carry out this battle. If you have your bulletin and want to kind of follow along as we work through a couple of points here, you can look. I think the main idea of these verses is this fact that Jesus provides us armor to stand against this evil one. He gives that armor to us. And so if we're wise, we're going to equip ourselves for that battle. And the way that we're going to do that primarily is through prayer. That's the way we're going to go into this battle and fight this battle. We look at these verses, of course, we see that we struggle. If you start to talk about the the devil in our society today, you sound a little bit strange. The words of C.S. Lewis are pretty helpful, and I'll read another um, section of this book. If you've never read the Screwtape Letters, or if it's even been a while, pick this book back up. In fact, I got two little, you know, cheapy copies that I got through Amazon or something out on the table there. If you haven't read it or don't have it, you're welcome to take them if you'll read it. They're out in the foyer table. If not, order this. This is a book, if you're not familiar with it, that is a... um, Um, uh, C.S. Lewis writes it as a sort of communication between two demons, one is called Wormwood, about their efforts to attempt to deceive, to carry out their evil work in 
the world. So it's kind of sinister. In fact, C.S. Lewis said it kind of messed with his mind, even writing this book. And so what you need to know, this is just a preface I'll read from here. But as I read the section in a minute, I need to tell you that for because it's demons writing the demons, the, the enemy is the living God. Their enemy is the living God. And their father below is, well, you know, I think you can figure out who the father below is. But he says this as we think about our temptation, our struggle to even believe in our sort of rationalistic times. Um, we want to be reasonable people to believe that there's an evil force out there, a personal evil force called the devil. He says, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and and hail the materialist or the magician with the same delight. Not too many of us probably inclined to an over-excessive interest. I think in our times what's more likely is a complete dismissal of the evil one. So we struggle to believe in this evil one. We also struggle, these passages tell us to put on certain weaponry, and we find that we often maybe are totally unaware of the weaponry and armor that is around us and available to us. If we know it's there, we're often failing to put it on. It's collecting dust off to the side. And lastly, we struggle because even if we get those things, we get that there's an enemy, we get that we've got some armor that we can put on, we also fail to just go into the battle. You can get all suited up and be ready to go, but if you don't show up at the battlefield, you're not really much use for it. And we're reminded in these verses of this crucial battlefield of prayer that is, I would say for myself, I think I'm not alone, perhaps the most neglected part of many of our spiritual lives. The Apostle Paul urges us, he says, there is a battle at hand. There is fighting going on. If you want to get involved, you need to get involved, engage in it through prayer. Engage in it through prayer. So we see this in these verses. We also see, though, that despite all this, we're called and promised to actually stand. Uh, look with me at these verses. Uh, we see, of course, in the, the verse, uh, first verse, chapter 6, verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. tells us that he's, he will provide strength for us from outside of us. Uh, despite how daunting this enemy is. And then look at verse 11. It says, put on the armor of God that you may be able to stand. Verse 13 talks about both withstanding and then at the end of that verse 13 to stand firm. And then you barely finish saying stand. And then verse 14 says stand again. You look and you hear about such a powerful enemy standing before us and you say, well, How can I do anything? What hope is there for me personally, spiritually? What hope is there for our church to make any advancements in the world and seeking and reaching lost people and helping one another and loving one another and and giving and serving and living out this life of the church? Well, the hope is this, that the Lord of the universe has given us capacity to stand. He gives us a high hope and a high vision. And I want some of us to see this too because I think, For a lot of us, we might say, yeah, I know all these things. I know there's a spiritual enemy. But at the end of the day, we're pretty content with kind of a mediocre journey through the spiritual life. We believe in Jesus. We know we have salvation. 
We want to spend some time reading our Bible and praying. We maybe want our families to grow that way and understand it. But this idea of really going to battle, really stand, this high goal of being able to stand and walk through our lives in a forceful way against the kingdom of darkness is a, a tough one for us. seems like a pretty far stretch. Well, I want us to see simply today is that that's the goal of the Apostle Paul for us. That's the goal of the Lord for us, is that we wouldn't just kind of muddle through, but that we would stand in this battle. But we see that. As we look at these verses, of course, we see, and verse 10 and 11 are a good place to see this just in real simple form. Verse 10 reminds us that we're to be strong in the Lord. There's no strength in and of ourselves. We don't get this power capacity from us to fight this battle. We're to be strong in Him. So the, the Lord's got to be doing something. But verse 11 reminds us, just as importantly, folks, just as importantly, we're called to do something. We've got to put on this armor. We've got to exercise some activity spiritually. We're involved in the process. With that in mind, let's take a, a few minutes here and talk about uh, three things. The enemy, the armor, and the battlefield, I guess you would call it this issue of prayer and also sharing our faith. The first thing we see as you look in verse 11 is it does tell us we have an enemy. He's called the devil. Verse 12 goes on and tells us, as I mentioned earlier, that he's, he's behind the scenes. So that's really important for us because the things that we see are the struggles that we're having personally with temptation, the challenges that our children perhaps are facing, the issues that are going on in our church, the, the things happening of darkness in our community. But what we miss a lot of times, what we forget, is that all of those things are just a manifestation of something that's going on behind the scenes. And that's these evil forces. So that should change the way we approach some of these things as we pray for them, as we pray for God to do a work. A couple of things, three things about this enemy that are important. One, it talks about them being... These enemies are arrayed as rulers, authorities, as people with power is basically what it's saying, as beings with power, if you will. So there's power to this evil one. He's also not just powerful, but he is wicked. And I think that's really important for us because we live in a time where we like to shade the lines between good and evil. And we know that's a problem for a lot of reasons. It's especially a problem here because the evil one is not slightly evil. He's not a little bit off track. He's not just wandering down a little path. He is decidedly, determinedly evil and opposed to everything that is good and will be that way. Not stopping in that. He's relentless in that. This is the one that we are challenged with in our lives. And then the last thing we see, it tells us at the end of verse 11 that he's a scheming one. And we know that from other passages in Scripture as well. That he's not, he doesn't come head on. He sometimes comes from the side. I like what uh, John Stott mentions. He says this. He says, We shouldn't imagine, therefore, that open persecution and open temptation to sin are his only or even his commonest weapons. He prefers to seduce us into compromise and deceive us into error. What he's saying is, the evil one is perfectly happy. If he can come at you straight on and tear you down, that's fine. If he can come at our church straight on and tear us down. But if that doesn't work, he's happy to come in from a little sideline. He's happy for us to just become sort of 
you know, muddling along in our spiritual walk and maybe seeking the Lord and maybe not. He's, he's equally content with either one. As long as we're off to the sidelines, he's happy with that. To help us think a little bit about how this, I mean, this affects us in so many ways, and it's a short time we have today to consider this topic. But, um, again, um, Lewis in his screw tape letters helps us to think about how this affects us just as a church uh, church body here. I'm sure this won't relate to any of us. I'm sure none of us think this way, but uh, perhaps I do, so at least it'll help me here. He talks, and this is in the section where the demon is writing his letter, so everything's down is up and up is down. But he talks about the church in particular and our relationships with one another and how the evil one works there. Listen to this. This is the demon writing. He says, one of our great allies at present is the church itself. He says, don't misunderstand me. I do not mean the church as we see her spread out through all time and space and rooted in eternity, terrible as an army with banners. That, I confess, is a spectacle which makes our boldest tempters uneasy. But fortunately, it's quite invisible to these humans. All your patient, that's the person he's working on tempting, that's his assignment, says all your patient sees is the half-finished Gothic church. When he goes inside, he sees the local grocer with a rather oily expression on his face, bustling up to him with one shiny little book containing a liturgy, and the other of them, and one that neither of them understands, and a shabby little book containing corrupt text of a number of religious texts, mostly bad and in very small print. When he gets to his pew, he looks around him and sees that the selection of his neighbor, he sees the selections of his neighbors that he has hitherto sought to avoid. You want to lean pretty heavily on those neighbors. Make his mind flit to and fro between an expression like the body of Christ and the actual faces in the next pew. It matters very little, of course, what kind of people the next pew really contains. You may know one of them to be a great warrior on the enemy's side. He's talking about somebody who's serious about their faith. No matter, he says, your patient, thanks to our Father below, is a fool. Provided that any of those neighbors sing out of tune, have boots that squeak, or double chins, or odd clothes, or uh, the patient will be quite easily ready to believe that their religion must therefore somehow be ridiculous. He goes on a couple pages later. He says, I've been writing to you hitherto on the assumption that the people in the pew afford no rational ground for disappointment. Of course, if they do, if the patient knows that the woman with the absurd hat is a fanatical bridge player or the man with the squeaky boots is a miser and an extortioner, then your task is much the easier. All you have to do then is keep out of his mind this question. Listen to this. Quote, if I, being what I am, can consider that I am in some sense a Christian, why should the different vices of these people in the next pew prove that their religion is mere hypocrisy and convention? End quote. You may ask whether it's possible to keep such an obvious thought from occurring even to the human mind. It is, Wormwood, it is. Handle him properly, and it simply won't come into his head. He's not been anything like long enough with the enemy to have any real humility yet. What he says, even on his knees about his own sinfulness, is all parrot talk. 
at bottom, he still believes he's run up a very favorable credit balance in the enemy's ledger by allowing himself to be converted. And he thinks that he's showing great humility and condescension in going to church with these smug, commonplace neighbors at all. Keep him in that state of mind as long as you can. Evil ones at work, right in our midst, right in a variety of ways, even in the way we look at and view those sitting right around us this morning. We've got an enemy who likes to work in powerful, deceitful, and wicked ways. We've got this armor, these verses tell us. What are we to do about this enemy? One of the first things it tells us is that we're to put on this armor. So this is some action. And you've seen and perhaps heard these verses before. I'll run down through them quickly, this armor. Uh, How are we supposed to stand? We're supposed to have the belt of truth. I think there's referring primarily to the fact that we're supposed to be people who are of truth and are walking in truth. Talks about the breastplate of righteousness, which would shield the soldier in here and also really cover part of their back as well. And that's uh, the righteousness here, certainly the righteousness that we have credited to us from, from God that we don't deserve but comes to us as a gift, but also the righteousness that hopefully we are beginning to grow in in our lives, have that kind of righteousness. And shoes for your feet, the readiness of the gospel is reminding us that the way that we stand is by constantly going back to remembering that simple truth that we're all far more sinful than we ever thought or understood. And Jesus loves us far more than we ever dreamed. The gospel gives us the capacity to stand against the accuser who would accuse us, especially when we sin. So that's the gospel of peace. Uh, We can take up the shield of faith. Likewise, that is a shield to protect us. When the enemy launches these targets at us, we can be protected. It would be a huge, like your whole body would fit behind the shield that's being described here. And we are to take that up through faith, through believing the things that we're told in a place like the book of Ephesians we've looked at the helmet of salvation is the whole work of God's salvation and the sword of the spirit it seems is the one sort of offensive weapon and it reminds us that that is God's word remember Jesus being tempted in the wilderness and what did he use to weather his temptation sounds overly simplistic in our world of self-help books and even spiritual self-help books but Jesus reminded himself of the word of God of God's truths of those realities in Scripture, it's how we stand against this one. And I think the main question for us here is this. Again, a lot of us probably know that there is this armor. Maybe not the first time you've ever seen this passage before. Uh, is, it, is it over kind of on the side, sort of collecting dust for us? Or is it something we're actively putting on? If you, don't, if you think you're just fine, if we all think we're kind of okay, we can make it through the spiritual life, no problem, then you won't put the armor on. But if, in fact, the, you know, the, the airstrikes are coming in over that hill in just a minute and the, the, the enemy troops are lined up just behind that fence over there, we'll start thinking a little bit differently about putting on that armor. This is the message of the Scriptures. We need this armor if we're to stand and live the spiritual life that we're called to. Last thing we see in these verses, the third point I have for us, is this battle is this battle that we're called upon. And just look with me at verse 18. It's really one of the most important things here, so I wish we had more time to 
to spend on it. But um, verse 18 tells us where and, and, if you will, how we go into this battle. And it might surprise us. It might surprise us. It's through prayer. Talks about it a bunch of different ways. You know, when the biblical authors say things a bunch of different times, you, you need to pay attention. We need to pay attention. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Then it goes on down and says, making supplication for all the saints. I hope we're, uh, I hope our personal prayer times are, are battlefield prayer times where we recognize we are going into the day and the evil one's going to be trying to take us away from walking with the Lord. It's not just a stroll down the park. He's got an agenda and we need his, we need the help of the Lord to move in another pathway as we walk through our day. I hope as a church we're praying that way for our church family. It was exciting last week to have this particular rising, but really, folks, we are just a toddler. That just we're just that's just telling us we've gotten started. We just made it around the first lap of the, the Talladega race. That's what we've done. Uh, and it's exciting and encouraging to see how far God has brought us, but we better be ready and be praying as we move forward for the things that God has for us, especially if we have a heart to see his kingdom extended. That's that's the kind of prayer we need. And we need to pray about the kind of stuff I read in this little booklet here, too, because one of the evil one's favorite things to do is just little bit by little bit by little bit just inch away at us until we lose the love for one another, till we lose grace with one another, till we fall far away from any humble attitude towards each other, and we move away from community, we move away from relationships rather than towards it. These are just some of the things that this arrayed enemy is trying to work against us. What a beautiful thing that we don't have a Lord who's just left us to get overrun, trampled over by the cavalry, uh, plowed down by the tanks. He's instead given us this mighty armor. If we would put it on, we would find that we actually have ability in the Lord, in his strength, to stand and to live a life that's uh, not just pleasing and glorifying to the Lord, but that's engaged in the spiritual battle uh, that is linked and is related to all eternity. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we um, confess um, how casual we are sometimes about the things of you, the things of your word, the things of your people, the things of our personal spiritual walk, the things of our church. And, Father, we uh, ask that you would sober us up with the reality of these verses and uh, let us not um, live like troops unaware of a massive, daunting, challenging enemy who's just over the next bend. Our Father, instead, would you strengthen us to walk and to fight as you called us to, our Lord, that we might be arrayed as a mighty armor for the things of your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.